This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Press Pass, episode 77. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. So I, I entered this uh, recording with you this morning and I said, Joshua, how are you doing this morning? You said, I cannot complain. So I'm thinking things are on the up and up. Yeah, you know, I, I just overall, um, there's there's no use in complaining. You know, we've had some events lately, obviously, with this coronavirus. Um, and then some other things that have happened out in the world that have really put things into perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this morning and, and kind of this week and, and hopefully to continue on into the future, I'm just going to choose not to complain. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's always a good way of looking at things. And and like you said, you know, this this past week, uh, everybody is uh, do, dealing with a lot in the world and what's going on. And I think that's a good way to choose how to move forward with it and to uh, think positive, especially in a time like this when other people need that kind of hope as well. Well, there is a little bit of hope when it comes to the college football season. Uh, We are hearing things here and there about campuses reopening, but there just doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to how it's going to get done. Everybody is just kind of on their own agenda. Uh, A recent article came out about the Pac-12 and the latest with them. So the Pac-12, Joshua, has discussed an 11-game regular season, and that would be played solely against conference opponents um, as one possibility for keeping football going this year, obviously with everything that we're going on with the pandemic. Clay Helton, actually, USC's coach that we've ripped on many times, hmm. um, he was like one of the main guys in the in, in the actual conference call that discussed this. And he did say, though, that they don't expect to finalize a plan for at least six weeks. Um, so that's still a little far out and, and things can change um, within that time. What are your thoughts on this idea, though? I love it as a contingency plan, to be completely honest. Um, you know, I think everybody wants to see some version of college football 
this year. Um, and I think that keeping a more regional approach uh, mm-hmm. could be appropriate. I think it makes sense for the conferences in terms of their dollars um, and making sure that they can have all of the games that they would need to have. Um, I think it gives you a full schedule against pretty good competition. You know, like some of the, you know, t- conferences aren't great top to bottom, but um, yeah. it's not like they're playing any FCS opponents in this schedule. So I think um, just the quality of games overall improves just based off of that alone. And I, I think it allows for them to, the conference itself to control everything that's going on with a little bit more accuracy, if that makes sense. Like if we're yeah. trying to figure out how, you know, the, the Pac-12 is going to play against the SEC and the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many more variables to making sure that can happen safely um, and on terms that everybody is going to appreciate and understand and enjoy um, versus this scenario where um, it's one conference. So, you know, they, they can put their own best interests first. Um, and they can kind of work off of that. I think other conferences should be looking at contingency plans that are similar to this, um, but I hope it doesn't get to this point. And I'll use the example of uh, Ohio State versus Oregon this year. Yep. Um, that is a huge game. It's, yep. it's one of the biggest games early on in the college football season. And we would be missing this matchup. And I think that Oregon fans want to see if Mario Cristobal has their guys up to par with mm-hmm. an elite program like Ohio State, and are they tough enough to compete, and are they fast enough to compete? And I think Ohio State fans want to see if what Ryan did, Ryan Day did in his first year was just a flash in the pan, or is this something that's going to be continual? And the only way to judge that early on is to play these marquee games against out-of-conference opponents. So um, hoping that it doesn't get to this point, but I think if it does, I would be satisfied because it would still be high-quality football. Yeah, and I think for the the college football fan, which there's so many of us out there, when we look at an upcoming season, we certainly look at games like that to get the season going. And uh, and even if it is early, it's usually some sort of a measuring stick on where that program is because sometimes we can see that a, a program is further along than we thought. Sometimes maybe they got too much hype, right? So that is always something we look forward to. And, and that's not the only game. There's obviously other non-conference games out there that people are looking forward to this next year. But I think that the key word that football fans have to have this year is patience. And I think that if there is even, you know, the ability to have a season, I think that I'm going to be, you know, expl- extremely um, thankful for that because we just don't know exactly what is to unfold. And so I just would appreciate a season, even if it's just conference play. And that's like the thing we have to realize is this is this is something like we've never, you know, gone through before. And so things might be a little different this year and we might not get those matchups that, you know, we're, we look forward to every single season. But I think we need to know that that's not going to be the future. It, it might just be a one-year kind of uh, – turn in the road as you may. (laughs) And I I think that's what folks have to understand. Like we're seeing a lot of these changes and the adjustments have to be made. Um, And I I think just because people have been sheltering in place so long and they haven't been to their office and they haven't been able Mm -hmm. to go to birthday parties and, you know, whatever the heck they want to do, you know, they're, they're anticipating (laughs) that some of these changes are going to be more permanent than they really are because they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Right. And the reality of the situation is exactly what you said. 
is that this is going to be more than likely a one year deal. If it, if mm-hmm. it has to go on another year, then it might, but I don't necessarily see that happening. And then everything gets back to normal and, and we'll just put a, a star uh, next to that season in the history books when we talk about it. But none of this is permanent. Now, I wanted to ask you this question um, yeah. just to hear your thoughts on it. So let's say that this becomes more widespread in college football and then we actually end up with Power 5 conferences playing a conference-only schedule, 11 games. How do you handle the group of five schools? And if you're a team like Cincinnati, for example, or Memphis, who's a group of five school who usually has a good year, um, how are you trying to advocate for yourself in these moments? You mean, are you mean like when you actually come to the end of the season and records? I'm just saying overall, because the group of five now is going to have some budgetary concerns off of this. So I think that perspective needs to be addressed. But absolutely, at the end of the year, if you if you're Cincinnati and you never had a chance to prove that, you know, like, hey, even though we got what by Ohio State, everybody else did. So we're actually not that bad. You know, like what how do you advocate for yourself at the end of the year? I mean, that and that's a question that I think we still have to figure out the answers to as the season unfolds, because, look, I mean, if there, if some of these um, teams aren't able to play non-conference games um, and this is going for teams as big as Ohio State and um, Oregon, you know, with those type of games, um, I just think that there's a lot to be considered and. I don't know, Joshua, what the answer is to, you know, what teams would be, how do you fairly, you know, figure out what teams even go to bowl games? I mean, is there even bowl games? I just think there's so much to be figured out in the next like couple of months that I don't even know how to address that because I think it could go so many ways. And I just don't think it's going to be, if we don't have a regular schedule with those non-conference games. Um, I think that there's just going to be some change in how the end, what the end looks like, what the playoffs look like, because you can't just like throw teams out there that have advantages just with their schedule. Right. I I mean, it's just, I mean, I guess you could say it's just not going to be fair. Yeah. No, but is that how college athletics is supposed to be? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you even brought up a good question. Like for a group of five team, um, you know, the the Cincinnati's of the world and the Memphises and all these other schools, you know, they're you know, they're they're looking for those New Year's six bowl games. Um yeah. and, and they're looking for some of the the higher end bowl games too, yep. because you know, that you can actually absolutely differentiate between good ones and bad ones. Mm-hmm. And that's a recruiting tool for them. Um obviously it's a windfall in terms of the money that's associated with it. So that's a big deal. Um, but I also agree with you 100% where, you know, Oregon and um, Auburn last year was one yes. of the games that was talked about throughout the whole college the football whole season. season because yep. it was a great measuring stick for both yep. of those teams. It was early on. We got to watch the evolution of both teams, which ended up being really, really good teams at the end of the year, mind you. Yep. And it, it really set the stage for conversations that we had revolving around the college football playoff. We were able to compare and contrast what we thought about these teams based off of that one game that happened like, what was that, week one of the college football season or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I think um, it opened up things. Yeah. And so I, this 
this becomes a, a good solution in my mind, but it also makes things very, very challenging if we plan on having a, a, a typical postseason. Yeah, I mean, that's – and you made a great point. It's one of those games that we were literally talking about until the very end of the season, um, you know, going into the playoffs and all of that and the bowl games. But it's it's one game can change a lot or it can – you know, a lot can ride on one game in terms of just that last-minute decision. Um, so – for the committees and everything and for, you know, bowl games and and what game, what team you're picking on over somebody else. So I think that is almost the more um, pressing question uh, is what is going to happen when all this stuff unfolds at the end of the season, if we of course have a season, but I'm sure that's not even on the front of anybody's minds right now because they're just trying to figure out if we have a season. So, I mean, these people have a lot of things to figure out. Um, I do not envy them right now. That is that is something that I can't even imagine being in their seats right now. And every day, I'm sure something changes. Um, so we, of course, uh, have been following it from the start. And we're trying to give you up-to-date information every week on our podcast. So make sure you stick with us because we're every time we hear even the slightest little bit of information like we did with the Pac-12 this week, um, we are bringing it to you and, of course, having a discussion. Well, with currently no NBA, no NHL or MLB, which might be back soon, might you add, uh, there's nothing to bet on currently. But there are some things. Uh, exclusive partner Bet Online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from online casino to poker and blackjack they are bringing vegas to you if you are missing the nfl no problem bet online has live daily madden nfl simulations you can bet on Uh, you can even bet on some tv shows survivor big brother american idol stock prices even nathan's hot dog eating contest all open 24 hours a day all online so go to betonline.ag use that promo code bluewire to join today you will receive a new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online waging solution. Okay, so earlier in the week, there was an article that popped up on ESPN.com, and Jim Harbaugh was the was in the title. And I said, Oh God, what is Harbaugh up to now? So I proceeded to read this article. It was like a slow news day, and we needed some discussion on our Sports Extra Daily show. For my personal work. Um, so he has come up with a plan to change the NFL draft. Now he has advocated that college players should, should be allowed to declare for the draft even after their first season, of course, like basketball players can do for the NBA draft. He also put out there that players should be allowed to come back to their college team if they are not drafted. Joshua, you were the first person I thought of when I heard this. What are your opinions on this plan of Harbaugh's? I, I typically do not have a lot of good things to say about Jim Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> I think this plan is fantastic. And, uh, you know, reading through some of the other details, like he said, if you're undrafted or you were drafted after pick whatever, I, I can't remember what the exact pick was, um, you should be allowed to come back to college. I, I think that it's fantastic. I think that this year was probably um, more eye-opening for prospects than other years because um, they made a decision. They went out on faith. They trusted their skill. And then some of them ended up kind of getting screwed because um, they weren't able to do um, you know, their pro days or whatever the case was. Um, If you didn't get a combine invite, you felt like you might have been at a disadvantage, especially if you were a player that came out early. 
and you were kind of betting on yourself and betting on your performance at Pro Day and your interviews with some of these teams to really pay off. I, I think that there are so few players in college football that would be ready to go to the NFL after the first year um, that this type of the, th- that type of um, rule wouldn't even apply to the majority of the guys. I can think of Maurice Claret, who was a guy um, who might have been able to do it. Jadavian Clowney recently was a player who would have been ready physically to go. I don't believe like even Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young for Ohio State fans out there don't believe those guys would have even been ready after year one. So, so that part of it to me, I think uh, is fine just because it, it doesn't apply. And if a cat decides after year one, he wants to go into the draft and you know, he ends up getting drafted. Good for him. If he ends up being undrafted, well, there you go. Like you, you had no business being there in the first place. And then I think if you're a junior like myself, for example, after my junior year, I think it would have been interesting to kind of go through the draft process and maybe roll the dice on that one and see where I would have gone. I, I played all four years at Ohio State, but there are there are quite a few guys who would like they would be interested to see like, hey, am I as good as I think I am? Um, and then they get their feelings hurt and they got to come back and maybe it motivates them to become the type of player they could really be in college. Um, I see no issues with it. Okay, so I I appreciate your viewpoint on that because when I guess I've always had a certain mindset on this rule. And I'll tell you my explanation in just a minute. Uh, but I, but I appreciate a player's mindset on that. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because I'm not a player, right? I've not been through that process. I'm, I'm on the other side of things and I write about all this stuff. But when I first saw this, I loved the second part of the plan, um, with having the option for players to come back if they're not drafted, because I think sometimes, you know, the draft process is crazy and, and every year it's different. And some players, you know, get drafted, they don't expect it. And, and that's great. And some players, you know, they don't go where they thought they'd go and they realize, you know what, I probably need to come back for another year. I think they should have the option to be able to do that. I've always been a, a little bit questionable on this leaving straight out of high school. And I only am that way because I think that as young people, we don't know our maturity process um, and how it does take a little time. And while I know that the body can be matured for some of these athletes that early, um, the mind is such a big thing. And it it is for these athletes because they're dealing with so much. There's so much being thrown their way. If you're getting... You know, if you're going to the league straight out of high school, these are 18, 19 year old young men who are having money thrown at them. And I think the only thing that I have an issue with, and I know that you said there's not going to be a lot of guys that are able to do this, but remember the the times we're living in and the new age mindset of kids. It's sure. always like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care. And I think that some people, if they don't have the right guidance, would think that this is just a, a reasonable goal. And I think there's more people out there than we think. So my only issue with this is that I just don't want some of those young men who don't have the guidance like some of these other ones do um, to think that they can just go and do this um, and then, you know, get messed up in the head and and so on and so forth, which is definitely happens, uh, you know, with with when money comes into play and competition. So that's the only part that I always question um, with, you know, leaving after high school, you, you see guys like LeBron James who can do it, but that's one in a million. So 
I don't know. That's my viewpoint from it. I'm not saying it's not a, an awful idea. I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but I just always think of the mind too with these young athletes. No, definitely. And I'll, I'll comment on that because I think it's a, a great point. I think the reason it worked in basketball um, is because if, if, if like, first off, physically, um, yes. your development doesn't have to be as much in basketball in yep. terms of like your size and your thickness. Like, can you jump? Can you shoot? Can you run? Yeah. All right. And then mentally, I think it's a different game, too, because when you're a superstar in basketball, you absolutely know it. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, those generational guys do come around. There's no target on your back in terms of somebody that's going to come and steal your job. Your job is secure. You know, there's there's nobody who's trying to take food off your plate because they can't do it. In football, careers are so funny because, you know, one injury happens and now you're vulnerable to somebody taking your job or, you know, it's a grown man. Um, who has four kids, for example, and he's going to be a little bit more motivated than an 18-year-old who's just a single guy because he's got to feed his family. And it's, it's, it's physical too. So like people can, can chump you physically. They can, they can make you feel, they can inflict pain on you, and then they can back it up with some psycho-emotional type stuff afterward um, that an 18-year-old wouldn't be able to handle. So I think a lot of the onus in a rule like this comes with NFL teams too where they have to do their due diligence. And if I am a GM, if I'm a scout, um, I'm not wasting my time evaluating um, 18 and 19-year-olds, honestly, unless there is a guy who, like I said, Jadavian Clowney, um, who was just like a a freak show. Yeah. You know, I would evaluate that one guy, but it's not like I'm going to be sitting there watching, you know, college football freshmen's tape. Like, I'm I'm not going to do that. I feel like I can find good enough players that are, you know, older, more mature that have been through it that I could draft to my team. And so I would, I would be interested to see draft philosophies around a rule like this, because the new England Patriots probably aren't going to spend the time, you know, drafting an 18 year old, but I bet you they'll evaluate every single one of them. Whereas some of these other teams, you know, they're not going to evaluate them, nor are they going to draft them. Um, and, And I think that's where it becomes interesting. Yeah, no, and I mean, I I actually appreciate the, um, you know, just the idea of him coming up with this and, and starting a conversation because there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's always a way that we can tweak things and, you know, see things come into fruition. So this should be interesting to see, you know, if it does get some permanent, you know, attraction in terms of change, because I know that there's been a lot of articles out there um, and there's a lot of people that feel like this is something to consider. So it, it, it was a great thing to talk about and discuss. And I'm, I'm glad that we got your opinion on that, too. So for this this final segment, I got on the computer this morning and I was going through some articles. And uh, I read this article that was just recently written on former uh, Ohio State running back Maurice Claret. Now, I covered a Ohio State for three years. I obviously know all the former players up there and all the stories about them. Um, And this was a guy that has stories, many stories. I first of all want to ask you, growing up, you know, watching Ohio State football, what you thought of Maurice Claret, first and foremost, of as as a player, um, and second, just kind of the issues that he ran into after that. Yeah, so it's it's kind of it's unique. So, um, as a player, I mean, the guy was, he was ridiculous, honestly. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you watch this, this freshman burst onto the scene. He's just, 
I mean, he's running over everybody. He's running around everybody. It's almost like this kid is unstoppable. Yeah. Um, and just from that, like he became a household name as quickly as any player that I've seen. Yeah. And just from that standpoint, it was amazing to watch. Now I can remember sitting in my bedroom, um, listening to um, WNCI um, and WBNS when Maurice got in trouble for having uh, the bottle of Grey Goose and the guns in his car. Yeah. And um, that was particularly shocking to me because mm-hmm. I was still kind of at an age where, you know, like you, you look up to athletes and you don't think that they really mess up like that. Yeah. But I, like at that point, I knew that he had messed up. Um, now, fast forward to when I was in college, I had the opportunity to meet Maurice a couple of times. Yeah. And um, I I don't know a lot of people who could have turned their life around the way that yep. he did. Yeah. Um, and so personally, and I, I know him personally now, um, I have a ton of respect for him. I appreciate what he's doing. And I think he's a story for a lot of people that um, you could come from nothing, you could have it all, you can lose it all again, and then you can yep. still make an impact on people. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's well put. I, I obviously, you know, I've followed a lot of what's going on with him uh, when I was in Ohio. And then, you know, afterwards, he's it's kind of been quiet for a little bit. And then this article came out. And I was like, wow, this is, and it was a really lengthy article. If you haven't read it, go to ESPN.com right now. It's under, um, you can just Google Maurice Claire at ESPN and I'm sure it'll pop up. But I was really just like amazed with just all the different things that he is doing right now. And the first thing that uh, when the article starts, it's actually a discussion about how he had um, recently met Mike Tyson. Um, And they like, you know, met at one of those football signings. You know how the former Ohio State players, you know, they go and do all the signings and stuff and they get some, obviously they get some money out of it and everything. And um, some do donations to charity and what on, so on and so forth. But so supposedly they met there and um, Tyson was just pretty much like, you know, he's like, I, I, man, I can relate to you. I've gone through all these things in my life too. Um, You know, at one point I thought my kids hated me. You know, I contemplated suicide and they kind of embraced in a moment. And, you know, it was, it was really cool just to see that too. Um, I had no clue about any of that stuff that he had met Mike Tyson and that, you know, they shared their similar stories, but because uh, May is mental health and awareness month. And I think this is huge for college athletes um, because a lot of them go through things that we don't even know about, um, including some former, a uh, former football player that went to my my school, Washington State, who committed suicide a few years ago. Um, there was a Tennessee Vol that recently came out and admitted that he almost had committed suicide, that he had planned his. Um, really sad stuff and real stuff that's happening in this world. So when I read this article, um, I was like, wow, this is really cool. So Maurice Claret opened up the red zone in June of 2016 and, and based in Youngstown, obviously, where he's from. And it employs more than 100 people, services 700 kids, 300 to 400 adults. Um, and about 60 adult clients live in the houses that Claret actually fixed up in Youngstown. And Claret said he fixed them up and actually like stayed there one night and was like, if I'm not going to stay here, nobody is. So he made sure like, you know, they were legit and everything. Um, and he's he's been doing this thing with this red zone. 
Well, his most recent thing is that he is trying to do something like that, have a facility for college athletes who are facing substance abuse, mental health issues, and other challenges. Um, he, I know he's scouted some sites around Columbus already and started some fundraisings. But I wanted to ask you, Joshua, being a player, being around other players, is this a pretty, I mean, is this an issue that we kind of forget about sometimes that, you know, there are a lot of individual players that have individual issues that sometimes get pushed aside? Yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. We hear actors and actresses and singers and songwriters and you know, just about everybody else who's high profile talk about um, substance abuse issues or mental health issues. Um, but then we turn around and we act like athletes. And I think specifically male athletes in yeah. sports like football, which are yeah. tough, violent sports, um, are impervious to these types of issues. And I, um, it's, 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 it's a shame because then it creates a scenario where the athletes feel like they can't talk about their issues. And I think from a time or two, all of us have struggled with something, whether, you know, it was um, mild bouts of depression for one reason or another. I remember being the NFL, my rookie year was probably the, uh, it was one of the most sad and disappointing times and not to be dramatic, but like um, I kind of like climbed to the top of the mountain and yeah. I had made it to the NFL. And then um, I just remember being out in California and I I didn't have a ton of friends. You know, I'm not like the typical guy in the locker room. You know, I'm yep. sitting here, you know, reading books and, and whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> guys are in the locker room gambling, you know. So it's just like it felt a little bit different. Um, and so to reach that height, but to have nobody there to celebrate it and to feel like, um, you you know, you don't typically fit in or whatever the case is, that was rough to deal with. And then. Like personally, I was also a high anxiety guy just because, um, mm -hmm. you know, I want to perform really well and I want to make everybody proud. And that was tough to deal with. Um, I think having these types of facilities would be great. I think the other thing, too, is um, a, a lot of the the uh, recovery process in substance abuse, a lot of the healing process with some of these mental health issues is around community and people that you can relate to that can help you validate your experiences um, yeah. as a way of overcoming. And we do that with um, other celebrities where, you know, like, I mean, hell, Dr. Drew had celebrity rehab as yeah. a reality show, but, you know, it'd be your, your singers and your songwriters and your retired athletes. But um, I think for current collegiate athletes, having an environment that represented their community to go and deal with their issues and come back stronger I think would be only a benefit to their uh, situations. Yeah, that's why I I really appreciated this article um, about him. I did not know, and I'm not up there, so I don't follow the every everyday news. But I did not know about this. I didn't even know about his facility that he had opened up, and I and I did not know about him trying to obviously do the fundraising to open one, one up for NCAA. Um, you know, athletes. And, and to go on about that, um, it does say that colleges could use the special assistance provided by the NCAA fund to send athletes to the facility and, and then insurance from schools would cover other expenses. Um, and Claret said he also includes, uh, wants to include, you know, fitness equipment so athletes can continue to train while they're there. I mean, I, I seriously, this article almost kind of choked me up a little bit about what he's doing with his life. It, it really did. Um, and he had a relapse in 2016. 
that we know about, and he hasn't had a drop of alcohol since. Um, he, this is just a really cool thing that he's doing. And I, and I hope that he is able to pull this off and, and to do this because he's doing this, you can tell he's doing it from the heart and he truly wants to help these athletes. So yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll I, I just a, really, really enjoyed that article. So I'll tell a quick story about Maurice too. Uh, I said, I've gotten to know him. Um, he reached out to me. I saw real estate here in central Ohio and he reached out yeah. to me about these medical facilities. And in this article, it talks about that. But one thing that yeah. he's doing as well is um, in in poorer communities, obviously diet is an issue. Yeah. And so a lot of these people will end up getting, um, you know, they have um, plaque in their arteries or they have uh, diabetes or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they face complications from that. Um, and so part of his uh, business structure and his outreach is medical facilities that will flush arteries and it's an outpatient wow. type of um, procedure but he uh, he's he's been looking at different medical facilities too uh, to be able to buy or lease so he can open up these um, facilities to help folks in the communities and um, he was really intent about the way he wanted to do it like he wanted them in specific neighborhoods he needed them to be um, close to to public transportation if at all possible you know like he wanted uh, facilities that were accessible in terms of how wide the doors were um, they should have ramps they shouldn't have necessarily a second floor. And if they do, then they need to have elevators. Like he did a, he was very, very meticulous about it. And I'm not a commercial guy. So I ended up passing off the business um, to someone else who could really help him. But I I just, I was really impressed by, um, by what he was trying to do because there are those needs. And like in in general um, rural communities, poor communities, they don't have the same access to, to medical care or to education, whatever the case is. And here is a guy who is trying to act like, like he is going out every day trying to change that. Like you really have to pat the guy on the back because he doesn't have to do anything that he's doing right now. Yeah. I love it. I love this. It made me feel uh, it was just, I know it's like kind of a crazy story in terms of ups and downs, but uh, you know, right now what has ended up with what he's doing with his life and for others is just really encouraging Um, And I, again, just if you haven't read it, you should go find the article and read it. It is uh, it is a great thing. Well, I want to wrap up this podcast, this episode with Joshua's um, takes and questions, because this week he was again, this is nothing new, but active on uh, Twitter and then uh, asked you guys out there to throw some question his way. And I know you got some responses, man. I mean, late last night, I think, you know, I was getting some notifications. Even when I woke up, I had some. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, response was good. And I'll, I'll, I'll jump in uh, by saying the response was good because um, I was on Twitter talking about um, something that I, I just feel like I could not let pass by. And in my personal life, um, especially lately, I, I feel like I've been um, less active and taking a hardline stance in some of the issues going on in the world, be it politically or socially, um, whatever the case is. And part of it is, um, you know, as, as a media member, I have to be responsible about, um, you know, which hills I want to die on. But also right. um, in my other career as a real estate agent, um, you know, people have to want to work with somebody that they like and that they agree with and, and not to be disingenuous. But if I don't necessarily feel like I have to make a stance on something, um, I've chosen not to lately. Um, but Ahmad Arbery, um, we've all kind of, we've heard the story, um, but he was suspected to have been 
going in and out of construction homes and stealing. And uh, he was he was chased down uh, by the McMichaels, a father and a son. Um, and it ended up in his shooting death in the street 74 days before uh, the father and son were arrested and charged. Um, and the father has a history in law enforcement. And he, you know, he was in with the, the district attorney um, and the whole deal. I'm not trying to do any conspiracies. I'm just trying to paint a picture here. But um, there was a video that surfaced of it. And I, I truly believe that had there not been a video, yeah. uh, we may not have seen um, an arrest. And, and all of this to say that regardless of Arbery's past, what he might have been doing that day, what he might have been doing at any point before then, um, trespassing, stealing, even if he would have gone out and, and killed somebody that day, is not an immediate death sentence. And we right. live in a society where we have laws and we're, we have a right to due process until we don't. And yeah. my biggest fear, not to go down this, this too far, but my biggest fear is that justice won't be served because now we have the video account, which I'm, I'm very thankful for, but now we have two men who are going to be able to tell their side of their story and one guy who won't be able to tell his side because he's dead. And yeah. I feel like that is a recipe um, for an unjust situation to manifest. And so um, for, for all the folks out there, you know, it's, I don't think this is a common occurrence in America. I think we live in uh, a, a really great nation with a lot of great people that support it. But um, we, I think we also have to reconcile with ourselves in moments like these and ask what more we can do as a nation to ensure that people don't get treated like this. But through all of that, um, I had the folks on Twitter kind of fired up um, and we were able to get some, some interaction um, and not to make too hard of a transition, but we are a college football uh, podcast. So we got to answer some of these college football questions. One question I had uh, start with this one is from, uh, Steven Steen at Steen SN on Twitter. It says, how would playing in front of empty stadiums or student-only crowds impact players? Who does it help or hurt the most in terms of teams, underdogs versus big dogs versus home versus away teams? Really good question. And I think you kind of answered it there at the end. Uh, if you're an underdog team and you're playing in an away stadium, mm -hmm. I think that you have the most advantage in a situation like this. The emotion gets stripped away a little bit. The crowd noise is gone. Um, and you feel like those emotional swings that happen um, in these big games, um, they, they're not going to be as big. And, right. you know, like yeah. if, you're, if you're Alabama playing in front of all those 100,000 people, you know, you, you want all of those people there. You mm -hmm. want them cheering for you, especially if it's, you know, Alabama-Auburn, right? You, you want that situation. You want that stadium. So – I believe that it's more of an impact than people want to let in. But if we're going to do what's right and we're going to keep players safe, then I think it's the right thing to do to start with maybe yeah. no crowds or smaller crowds and then transition into bigger crowds. Yeah. Did you have any commentary yeah. on that one? I, well, I just think that in we, and we touched on this earlier in the podcast, but I just think that, you know, we can say all we want right now about what we would like to see and what we think, but I just think it's going to, um, it's just going to be kind of unfolding how things unfold with the virus. And I think that, like you mentioned, we might not see fans in the beginning. Guess what? Fans might be allowed to start coming in midway through the season. So it, it's just, it's one of those things where I think it's a season where we just, 
we do not know what's going to happen. And maybe that's like what we look forward to is just, you know, it, it could be the most crazy season we've ever had in terms of college football. But I think we just have to like appreciate that that is what it is, right? No, definitely, definitely. I've got two more questions I'm going to go through. So okay. uh, our next question is from Liz Cook at LZ Cook on Twitter. Uh, she said, no spring games, no direct access to conditioning, coaches, and training facilities. Mm-hmm. What impact, if any, will this stay-at-home period have on player performance mm-hmm. and the front end of the season? Um, that is such a wonderful yeah. question because I think lost in all this conversation about playing games is what is the product actually going to look like and how prepared are players going to be? Yep. And I think it all depends, Liz, on when we get players back into facilities to start their training. Um, because the more time that they have back, obviously the more prepared they're going to be, the more ready that they're going to get. Um, if we're trying to get these guys back and we only say we only have a month to get them right, I think that um, you're going to see some sloppy play because players are going to naturally be out of shape. And I think, yeah. um, you know, they're going to be disjointed because they haven't been able to work together on the playbook and everything else. I think by the end of the year, we will see some really great football, though, just because players are going to be able to condition through the season. They're going to be able yep. to come together through the year. Um, but these, the stay-at-home period, I think, has been really tough physically. Now, I know a lot of teams have been able to do some really unique uh, coaching via uh, Zoom and, and, and you know WebEx and, and Google Hangouts and all that kind of stuff. So from a mental aspect, they should know the playbook. From a physical aspect, I think that will be the part that lags behind. Yep. No, I agree. I think that that, that is a great question, though, because I think that's what we've all been kind of wondering. And, and I know just as somebody who's not an athlete that puts a lot of emphasis on staying in shape and doing that, when I'm not able to be in my classes and have direction, direct direction, I can do, do it here even virtually, but it's not the same. Um, and I don't feel like my body, while it's in shape still, I don't feel like it's at the level that it, it was. And I can't even imagine, you know, as an athlete, Um, that feeling because I'm sure all of them are thinking it's not where we want to be but it's what we can do no definitely and I I think that's kind of the deal is like you do what you can right now and then when they get on campus it's really got to be a grind yep all right so final question we're we're taking today uh it's from Jeremiah um at SYR Motsag says my question is this is it unsafe for fans to be at games this fall um is it worth it to put players at risk of the coronavirus and let them play in empty stadiums. Um, so here's the deal. And, and you, you hit this question last night on Twitter. If I I'm a firm believer that if you can't bring at least some part of this, the, the regular student body back on campus, then I don't think you can bring players back on campus right. to play in these games. Um, yeah. Because just based off the principle of them being students first, like period. Yeah. If there are no other students there, then athletes shouldn't be there either. But I think if you can declare that it's safe to have students on campus, yep. then you can you can have sports. And then I think you decide from there um, what the risk level is of, of piling 100,000 people into Ohio Stadium. And that that's kind of where I would go. I, I'm Now, here's the deal. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you media people blow this out of proportion. It's almost like you don't want to have a college football season, this and that. I'll be the first person to tell you. I get paid during college football yeah, season. Exactly. I'm not going to get paid this year if we don't play ball. So yeah. it's it's in my best interest for everybody to play. But I'm also um, not selfish enough to say that I want these guys to play just so I can get paid. Yep. Like if, yep. if we can't play the game, then we can't play the game. If it's not safe, it's not safe. So 
I'm looking forward to it. I think that they're they're trying everything they can to find a safe way to do this, but um, player safety absolutely has to be in the forefront. Yep, and that hasn't. I mean, I don't think that that has changed whatsoever. I think that that's the first thing that comes into play, and I think that's why you know things are taking longer because. We are kind of waiting to see if numbers drop, um, if if testing can come, become available to everyone. Um, they want to make sure that everything is in place before they say anything about, you know, yes, we're going to be coming back. And I know individual in- universities have said we're going to play football in the fall, but that's no official estate. That's no official statement. Right. Um, those are people just you kind, of, you know, Alabama, Arkansas, those type of schools, just kind of, you know, <laughs> putting you it out there. I know, you know, I mean. <laughs> Down in the South, you know, sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves. I'm not putting me into that equation. I'm not from that here. That is hilarious. Um, <laughs> hey, I speak my mind, you know. I'm not afraid to speak my mind. Love me well, or Go ahead me. and do it. Um, so, well, I really enjoy this episode. Um, another great episode of Press Pass, uh, answering your questions. See, this is what happens, people. When, when you get on there and you put out your questions, Joshua will answer them all. And then you don't have to wonder anymore because you get great perspective. I'm just joking, but we really do appreciate the questions. Um, if you guys want to follow us on Instagram at Press Pass Pod, and then Joshua, uh, where can the peeps go to follow you and to ask you questions? Yes, um, and, and continue to ask questions, folks. We had a ton of great questions. Um, we have a limited amount of time toward the end of the show to get them, but we promise if you keep sending questions, eventually we'll get to you. Um, my Twitter, my Instagram is at RIP underscore JEP. Go ahead, give your boy a follow, come and interact. We've been talking about some great things on the timeline. Um, I always re- I always appreciate people jumping in on the conversation. Perspective is huge. Yeah, it's a, it's always interesting to follow too. Uh, if you don't follow it, it's it's great conversation. And um, sometimes it's just healthy to have some debate going on. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kayla Anderson TV and on Twitter at Kayla Anderson TV uh, for content about just about each and everything that's out there right now, including obviously college football, 24 hours a day. So we appreciate you guys. We hope you guys are staying healthy and happy during this time. We will bring you another episode of Press Pass next week. Until then, enjoy yourselves.